the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Rob Black, talking stocks, talking investing. CFP, Chad Burton, and myself have put together some good downloadables at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. One of my favorites is the top 25 quotes from Warren Buffett. Just my, my favorites. And it's a good piece. I mean, it, it, it'll make you a better investor if you can live that way, the Warren Buffett way. It certainly won't hurt you if you can buy companies that have great cash flow. I would say ultimately that sometimes boils down to what he's looking for. Great cash flow and uh, entrenched business. Apple's a company that Warren Buffett owns a little bit of, and Apple's had a really, really bad November. For the record, I own shares of Apple. Apple shares fall today on news that President Donald Trump suggested the U.S. could put a 10% tariff on iPhones and laptops made in China. We'll get to made in China in just a moment. Trump told the Wall Street Journal that people could stand that tariff rate very easily. Man... Tariffs, in other words, for taxes. And uh, it seems like politicians have never met a tax they don't like. Trump also said it's highly unlikely he would delay an increase in overall tariffs at the beginning of the next year, 25% from 10%. He's going to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping in three days at the G20 summit. And whether we get a token handshake, a hollow truce, or a constructive handshake, we don't know. I, I... and whether, you know, five minutes after the meeting, if it went well, if Trump says, you know, we got, got him where we want him, and he blows it, I don't know. How is China going to respond? Could they try to disrupt? You know, Apple's supply chain, and, you know, for Apple or for President Trump to take a shot at Apple, you know, they're already having problems selling $1,200 phones. $1,100 phones when you factor in taxes and services and everything else, you're talking 1200 plus right. That's a lot of money. When you think, you know, gosh, you get a car, a used car for like 5000 6000 and you're thinking a phone is 1200 woo that's even before you even get a data plan, right? So Apple's supply chain is so entrenched in Asia that one analyst says today, now for the record, Apple has fallen 25% from its 52-week high. Apple, you know, was a trillion-dollar company just a few weeks ago. So when you lose 25% of a trillion, that's a lot of do-re-mi. So I heard one analyst today talk about Asia, and if Apple wants to say, you know, screw you, President Trump, we'll build in the United States, and Trump goes, see, I told you so. One analyst says it's easier to move the moon off its orbit than shift iPhone production to the U.S. So it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. So now we have to wait to see if China and the United States can play nice, especially in three days. Would it cause a huge market rally? Maybe. We know Apple would get a relief rally. So for an 
analysts to say it would be a massive undertaking. The tech giant is f- potentially facing tariffs, and it would be a massive undertaking to move production to the United States. And I find that kind of interesting. It tells you a lot, right? So Tim Cook has done a great job of trying to be in the good graces of Trump. He has. If you see the texts that come out, he's not trying to, how shall we say, shake a bear. If things escalated and Apple were to think about leaving China, it's like, you know, this analyst Gene Munster says, it's easier to move the moon off its orbit than to shift iPhone production back to the United States. Now, we'll see. And that, that kind of stinks because there's four things that move a stock, and one of them is visibility. There's the stock market. Stock market's moving up, your stock can move up. If stock market's moving down, your stock is likely to move down. Then there's the sector. Let's say you're in technology, and technology's in favor like it was two months ago. You're probably moving higher. And now technology's falling out of favor because Trump says, you know, we may have to break up or look into the monopolies that Amazon, Google, and some of these other tech companies are, Facebook. Regulation, not a good thing. So would Apple move back? It's a big question. No, it's not. It's not going to happen. So when an analyst tells you it'd be easier to knock the moon off its orbit, that's pretty, I'm not going to say damning, but I'm going to go with that one. That's, it's almost like swearing on the life of your children. Don't do it. Just don't do it. I'm not going to do that. Don't ask me to do that. You hear people freak out when you say, would you do, swear on your children? I'm not going to do that, but I swear it's easier to knock the moon off its orbit, right? It sounds pretty entrenched to me. Uh, Trump suggests he has inside info on Russia probe hours after Mueller and Manafort broke a plea deal. Oh, no. Mueller can't even get his uh, report out without it already being discredited. That It's already been read. Oh, that's a messy Bueller. one, isn't it? Bueller. Let's see what else. A top U.S. tax code writer is floating a tax bill on retirement plans in the IRS. That doesn't sound good. A tax bill on retirement plans? You know, our government gives us Social Security, and it's an amazing gift. You work, you pay into the system, you get it out. Now, it's not amazing in the sense you would do better if you invested that money. Our government would do better if they invested that money, but our government uses that money to spend on costly programs. And now they're talking about, you know, the 401k, the 403b, and let's, let's tax these plans. Let's get it from the employer or the employee. Let's get, it, let's get more money from us. Like, no. We don't really want the Social Security, and we really can't count on the Social Security. And Social Security is a supplemental program, as it's called, and you need to supplement it with more investments. And we're talking about taxing people on these? Bad idea. Consumer confidence hit a record, not a record, but hit a 135.7 rating in November. Estimates were for a little bit higher, but that's a darn good number. Consumers' assessment of current situations, boring to talk about, but people are happy. They see job growth. They see good expectations. Now, maybe a little bit weaker than last month. One month doesn't make a trend. So that's why you look at housing numbers and how they're doing. And uh, housing home prices gained strength to the lowest level since January 2017. As the mortgage rate has tick-tock, tick-tock higher, 1 percentage point, making affordability less. 
it's out there. So, but you're still seeing pretty good above norm historical returns in real estate. And that's across 20 cities, but they're considered important metros to look at. Obviously, if you live in like Butte County and it just burns down, you know, it's tough to get a housing price read. Um, but I can tell you like rentals in Santa Rosa a year after the spikes in rental rates are, are kind of sad. How much people are willing not gouge others, but how much they're willing to milk. No, I'm not going to say that. Get what you can get. I always believed in that. Anyhow, Amazon had its biggest Cyber Monday ever. 180 million items over the last five days of trading. So Amazon's pretty stoked. It's good to be them. Jeff Bezos gives a billion dollars to some homeless groups across the United States. Interesting. How would you spend your billions? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. I grew up at a time where I was fascinated with video games. The Atari 2600 fed that that fever imagination of mine. But then there was like some confusion. Nintendo would come out and not as good, not as addictive. Then television, where they had some old baseball guy go, you know, look at baseball on the Atari versus look at it baseball on the Intellivision. And in television, I had this cool controller, and I always wanted one, but my parents wanted to get one because we were stuck with the Atari 2600 kind of e- ecology. And then ColecoVision came on, and I had to have it, and I couldn't get it, so I'd go over to a friend's house and play ColecoVision, the Commodore 64. And I kind of grew up on Civilization and SimCity. I, 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 I don't want to play SimCity. It's uh, it, it's a play on that horrible, horrible song, I, I, I Don't Want to Play Sin City, where musicians got together and said, you know, we don't want to play in, in part of South Africa that, you know, still supported apartheid. But I took that and I, I captured it. I, I didn't want to play Sim City. I wanted to play Sim City, but sometimes I'd find myself waking up at six in the morning going to class. Sun City. Sin City. Sim City, Sun City. So you get the whole idea, right? So video games have been kind of my blood. And I saw, holy mackerel, did you see this? Um, Red Dead Redemption. It took, it got amazing reviews. It took seven years to build the Wild West theme adventure. And people are, are raving about its, you know, ridiculous realistic graphics and deep storytelling and compelling characters. You could be a good cowboy. You could be a bad cowboy. You could have adventures with bar winches. You could have adventures with other cowboys. Brokeback Mountain. Like, whoa. They're really putting a lot of like storytelling and, and sequences into the game. It took seven years, almost 3,000 people to make it. And it, yeah, it pulled in a billion dollars in sales for Take-Two. And, you know, just to give you an example of... of what seven years and 3,000 people could do, there's, you know, everyone's talking. 
about in the game if you're you have a horse and if you take the horse out in the cold you actually could see his testicles shrinking it gets cold and the gonads shrink and you're like that's a lot that's a lot of detail and no sarah jessica parker you can't come into studio right now so it serves little narrative benefit but it shows you what extensive resources can do and yet there was a game called life is strange which kind of followed the lives of these peculiar teenage kids, Max and Chloe, and people who play that cry. The storytelling, the voice, the acting, the pace, the mystery. You know, it, thematically, it's, it's kind of like a Venn diagram of a broken sword, Stranger Things, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. There's a lot going on in the video game. It's got a lot of teenage drama, and who doesn't love teenage drama? Right? That's why we go to these movies that are ridiculous, like Hunger Games. We love teenage drama. Or we get Bella the Vampire from the Twilight series. What a high school girl falls in love with a vampire. It becomes One, an international sensation. Two, three. I love vampires. Four, the Count was my favorite. Five. <laughs> I really... You know when you watch Sesame Street as a kid, you had certain segments that you always looked forward to, like Oscar the Grouch. You always look, you're always jonesing for more account. I don't know why. So, video games, and what I was trying to get at is Life is Strange was made for, I'm not going to say a shekel, because I don't even know what a shekel is. Um, but it was made for 15 million euros or less. Not for seven years and 3,000 people making Red Dead Redemption 2. Now, they're both art, and they're both done in different ways. If, if a video game made for 15 million euros makes you cry, that's pretty good. That's the, so what I'm getting at is it's okay to invest in video games, but know that there's perils, too. Now, Take-Two at some point in time is going to announce you know, the next uh, Grand Theft Auto game. And it's probably going to take seven years and 3,000 employees, right? And it'll be even more lush um, than it was last time. And last time was pretty good. So, and then video games sooner than later are going to move online and not in your home because the internet connections will be so fast and the, the video game companies will be able to like use supercomputers that make the games even more real and more immersive. But the video game investments are Electronic Arts, Activision, Take-Two on the software side, on the game side. Then you get into things like the hardware side, like NVIDIA and AMD, and then you get into... The retail side, like there used to be a game company called Electronics Boutique, um, and then there there was a, a, a store called uh, GameStop. I can't get into those investments, even when new hardware comes out. It still kind of distresses me a little bit to think about these as investments, even though people are going to be going in their stores. I just I see games going online more and more. It started with Steam, and uh, Origins got their own downloader, which is kind of a blessing and curse. Like, I played a game called Bioshock years and years and years and years ago. And maybe one day I'll want to show it to my kid, and it's still online in the cloud, and I could still get it, which is kind of cool. As long as the company stays in business, right? That's the idea. That's what I'm sticking with in my mind. Anyhow, and anyway, you can find me online at 800-516-1220. Got a lot of downloadables at newfocusfinancial.com. My favorite is the Warren Buffett quotes, but there's also um, 
pillars of retirement income planning, things like that. You can go to newfocusfinancial.com and download stuff there. Alphabet's Google has closed a $1 billion deal for a 51-acre business park next to its Mountain View headquarters. Now, that's on one hand. On the other hand, Apple's employees, not Apple, but Google's employees, Alphabet's Google's employees, some of them are protesting. They want Apple. I keep doing that. Why am I doing it? They want Alphabet. I guess Alphabet's pretty close to Apple, right? In your head? You can get this kind of mix. But Google's spending a billion dollars to get 51 more acres next to Mountain View headquarters so they can continue to expand their, their little park. Um, their little park. It's a huge, huge employer of people. Um, huge office space. But their employees are saying, like, hey, Google, don't go back into China. We don't need that. A little more Avicii taking us to break. Now we get to hear the door slams. Oh, Imagine Dragons, Dan. Oh, it's got that same kind of beat, though, right? Anyhow, I'm Rob Black. Um, Imagine Dragons, tough band to the label. Are they rock? Are they pop? Are they alternative? Are they indie? Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Every morning I start my day by reading Patrick O'Hare's briefing.com article called Page One. It's kind of a cheat sheet on what might be leading the markets. What's happening around the world, big corporate news, big economic data to pay attention to. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, good morning, Rob. I'm doing well. Thank you. Now, we're coming off Thanksgiving. We're moving into Christmas, so we're marching towards the end of the year, and um, it's a big one. We've got tax implications at the end of the year. We've got, you know, will the market be up or down? In this case, we've got the G20 Summit coming up towards the end of the year. Lots going on. What are you focusing it on as we wind down the year? Yeah, and then there's also the issue of, you know, trying to get the government funded, too, to avoid a shutdown as well. So, um, you know, you're right. There is a lot. There is a lot to uh, to consider, and I think that that's probably you know one of the hangups for the market here. While you're seeing this volatility, is that you know you have some binary outcomes out there. So it would seem, you know, with respect to what could happen uh, in the negotiations or the conversation that President Trump and President Xi are going to have at the G20 summit, as well as uh, kind of what the Federal Reserve might be hinting at, uh, you know, at its press conference following the December FOMC meeting about uh, the path of the Fed funds rate. So, um, you know, there's a lot of pent-up hope that you would see some positive uh, outcomes from that uh, Trump-Xi meeting, as well as, um, you know, Fed Chairman Powell and the FOMC effectively, you know, dialing back their interest rate path projections for 2019. You know, the market gets some sense uh, that things are, are breaking its way on both of those fronts, then, you know, you could have a nice year-end rally here. Um, but at this juncture, it's really a, a day-by-day situation, and uh, this market is beholden to the latest headlines, and, and you know, and there's been no real uh, clear-cut vision, you know, in those, in those headlines. And so you see this, this intraday volatility as well as the, you know, day-to-day volatility. I'm not sure who I stole this from, but I stole it from someone. The bond market's smart, and when you see bonds react positive or negatively, 
to economic data. It's in real time, whereas the stock market is stupid, but the stock market is, is psychic. It looks six months into the future. So if the market drops 20% now, probably in about six months, we're going to hear about job cuts or something kind of tied towards why was there a big drop? Um, do you uh, do you ascribe to that? Do you, do you believe that? Is there any truth in it? Am I just loco in the cocoa? Stock market is a predictor. Bond market smart. Well, you know, it's the collective judgment of the masses, really. And, and you know, the stock market is a forward-looking entity. You know, it's trying to discount, you know, what uh, what earnings growth is going to look like, you know, three to six months down the road. And, you know, with respect to the Treasury market, it just seems to kind of have more of a, a cooler head in a, in a way. Um, they might ultimately be saying the same thing. It's just that you don't see uh, the hot-headed reactions in the Treasury market as much as you do in the stock market, uh, where you have this democratization of, of, of the masses, you know, trading equities, you know, at the click of a button, which is a lot easier to do. Uh, I think for you know for the general public than it is to try and trade individual bonds and even government securities, but you know that's a whole different issue. But um, but I do subscribe to the to the uh, to the understanding that the stock market is forward looking, um, and it's why you you do have to you know. Um, Take a conscientious look at how it's been acting lately, and and the performance of the uh, the leadership sectors and stocks that have just you know uh, been looking quite ugly really since the start of October. You know what is it ultimately saying about the the, the path down the road, and and you know the message in the market right now is that it's certainly concerned about what the pace of earnings growth is going to look like six months from now, and uh, and you're seeing that reflected in this multiple compression, which has occurred against the backdrop of one of the best earnings reporting periods, um, you know, uh, since 2010, uh, where you've got S&P 500 earnings growth up over 25 percent, uh, accompanied with revenue growth. Up nine percent, which is the best. I think the second best uh, since 2011. Uh, so why isn't the market reacting any better to that? Well, because it's fearful about uh, uh, this uh, growth slowdown, driven most likely by higher interest rates and potentially by increased tariffs uh, that are ultimately going to cut into the pace of earnings growth into 2019, uh, should those come to fruition. And that's what's on the market's mind, and that's why you're seeing the, you know, the underperformance of these uh, highly valued growth stocks as well as many of the cyclical sectors. Mr. O'Hare, I have a, another question. For 20-plus years, I've used the phrase, I like to see stock market rallies built around financial stocks. And my theory is is that lending money and banking and transacting money is the, the blood of our economy. So the banks aren't doing well. The stock market can't do well. It doesn't seem to be true anymore. It seems like that was a truth for me 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. But we are, we're not getting the financial leadership that we want, that I want to see. And my, what went wrong with my theory <laughs> that financials have to lead us higher? Yeah, well, I think that that has been one of the great conundrums this year, right? Because you've you've seen really just an ideal economic backdrop for increased uh, capital markets activity uh, driven by by the banks, uh, where you you know you've got a uh, great labor market, you know, low unemployment, um, you know, income growth that could be better, but is at least rising somewhat, um, and uh, you know, companies uh, flush with cash and. Um, 
and you know you should see increased uh, loan demand, and uh, you should see increased lending activity, and you should see a better performance from the banking stocks. But you know, one of the I guess uh, headline offsets, or maybe not even a headline, really, is what you've seen in that yield curve, and and it's in the flattening dynamic there, which is you know creating this cause for pause as it relates for a lot of financial stocks and certainly as it relates to uh, what we just talked about a moment ago about the, the forward-looking capacity of both the stock and the treasury markets. You know, is that flattening yield curve suggesting that you're going to um, maybe not see an actual recession but a much period, a slower period of economic growth? You know, or is it a head fake right now? Um, well, the future will tell us, but uh, when you've got that happening at a time when you should be seeing both the stock, you know, the stock market certainly doing well um, in the face of uh, tremendous earnings growth, it, it creates some, you know, some questions that, um, you know, and, and it creates a, uh, a lack of confidence, really, in, in, in buying into those names right now. So, you know, the financials, I, I agree with you, Rob. I mean, they, you, would, you would like to see them in a leadership position, and I think they've been subjugated in that role for many years now with the strong outperformance of, you know, the, uh, the technology stocks and certainly those, those FANG stocks, which have um, captured everybody's interest and, and, uh, and obviously are the ones that are getting hit quite hard right now and having a disproportionate impact on the broader market. Good stuff. Mr. Hare, we've got about two minutes or less. I can hear you talk for years and years and years. You are my favorite guest. You have been for 15-plus years. Anything that you're working on that you want to bring to our attention? Again, we only got about two minutes. Sure. Well, well, first of all, thank you for that, Rob. I really appreciate it, and I've enjoyed talking to you for all those years as well. So uh, I look forward to doing it again as we roll into 2019. So, um, you know, one of the things I am interested in, though, is that you've – you know this this issue of multiple compression is that um, as we look at it, 2019, you you uh, see a slower pace of earnings growth, right? Uh, projections right now, according to facts, that are around you know mid single digit growth in the first half of 2019. But what's interesting about that is that that does not include any downward revision to the earnings outlook for the energy sector, which is quite surprising when you take into account that you've seen just a huge collapse in oil prices uh, in recent months. And so I think that could lead uh, potentially lend itself to further downward revision to that earnings growth outlook, which is exactly one of those reasons what we talked about earlier, why this market is somewhat fearful about the pace of earnings growth and is not paying up for the strong earnings growth it's seen right now in the third quarter. Are you a little bit worried, and we still have about a minute because you're tight on that one, um, are you a little bit worried about the corporate debt stories that we're hearing that a lot of S&P 500 companies couldn't afford to service their debt over the next three years if they had to? that we're starting to see companies buy back their debt instead of increasing their dividends or or, um, doing share buybacks. Is that a story or is that just something we're making? Is that something that we're making nothing, making something out of nothing? Yeah, well, I think it is something that, you know, investors need to pay attention to, certainly with, you know, individual stock holdings um, and looking at the companies that they own, because, you know, in a rising interest rate environment, that does become, you know, cost prohibitive to pay back that debt, and it, and it can be a, a, a problematic factor. Um, so... Uh, something that you know certainly needs to be on the radar uh, because we usually see you know interest rates and credit issues uh, act as a spark for for more concerning economic issues down the road. Thanks very much. It's Mr. Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. He's a gentleman. He's also incredibly wise, and, and he's the only financial guest that I go to every week. 
he's recurring for a reason. What briefing.com does is, I think, spectacular work on domestic and international markets. Um, it's To me, it's non-biased. But, of course, there's going to be some bias in it. You know, you work in the financial industry. You tend to say, you know, hey, this is a good, interesting financial story. You can check him out at briefing.com. It's briefing.com. I've named my new puppy. My puppy, uh, Maisie the Wonder Dog, passed away last year um, in July. It was very sad. She was a member of the family. She went on uh, all of my dates. She was unbelievable, but she passed. I got a new puppy. You want to know the puppy's name? Zero one 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 zero zero one one. I know. Who names a puppy? Zero one 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 zero zero one one. In cold blood, Alt J. One of the greatest books of all time. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I've got. Two of the coolest kids in the world. I think every parent thinks that. When I told them their dog's name, which I believe it's important to have a puppy for kids so they could kind of learn about taking care of things and loving things. When I told them the puppy's name was, we went through, do we name it Professor Purple? Because I like evil comic book characters. Do we name it Miley? Do we name it Violet? No, we go zero one 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 zero zero one one. Come, and it's based off this song, which is based off in Cold Blood, greatest, 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 greatest novel in American history, greatest American novel. Zero one 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 zero zero one one. I know you're saying, I like Maisie the Wonder Dog. That had a certain catch to it. You know, another name I was going to go with is uh, one of my favorite Russian authors is Fyodor Dostoevsky. So I was going to go with Dogstoevsky. But I thought that was too hipster of me. So I had to go with the more appropriate 01110011. <laughs> I know. So anyway, one of my favorite economists is a guy named Ian Shepherdson. You know, I like Scott Galloway from New York University. I think you can listen to his YouTube stuff. For an hour a day, you'll be smarter on investing, on tech. And he's not talking about investing usually. He's just talking about what these companies do and how powerful they are or aren't. And he's pretty good. But also, I like Ian Shepherdson. He's of Pantheon Macroeconomics. He's an economist. Now, we all know I like reading economic data. There's two magazines that I really dig. One is The Economist. But also, I, think, I like things like Barron's and Wall Street Journal. It's really tough to like just pigeon yourself. The New York Times, I think, does a nice job. But I like The Economist. I, I think they do a, a lovely job of, of freaking people out. And Ian Shepherdson, I think, is a pretty good economist. Um, very human, in my opinion, as far as you know, pointing to things on home construction and layoffs and oil prices. Where are they now? What do they mean? The key point to remember, you know, that low, low oil prices are now, you know, a net positive or you know things like that it, it, it helps you walk away with with some value add so you know i read the economist also my only non-financial magazine that i read is jugs magazine because i really like studying like byzantine pottery and fourth century um pots and pans you know uh artifacts so those are my two favorite magazines 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. 
some headline news of the day, tariff talk. It's got the market on edge a little bit. It's tied directly to Apple today. And that's got people saying, okay, let's get to this G20 summit soon and see if we can't get some headway between uh, President Trump and President Xi. Because you're talking $200 billion of Chinese goods and, you know, a 10%, 25% tariff makes it $267 billion. That's a lot of dough. That's a lot of money. And, you know, again, it shows you, like, when you hear things like uh, cigarettes are going to cause $1.2 trillion of healthcare costs and productivity costs in the next 10 years, you're like, whoa, trillion. And then you see billion, $257 billion. You're like, these are big numbers. So President Trump is reiterating tariff increases on Chinese goods. What is his presidency going to be? What is his legacy? I don't know if he has to start thinking about it now, but having lost control of Congress um, puts him in a situation where he, will he be combative or will he try to like find some common ground? A mess. It's a mess. And we really don't. I don't know. Do you? If you do, let me know. Because so far when a lot of things you say, it, they don't come to fruition. Elsewhere out there, the big GM job cuts are all about electric cars. And I had this conversation yesterday with some people about General Motors. Wall Street digs job cuts. It's sad. It's pathetic. It is what it is. Some factory closures. Woohoo! Wall Street cuts. And then you and I go, and they're shutting down the factory towns. And we could hear Billy Joel going, We're living here in Allentown. Blah, blah, blah. Depressing. But GM cutting thousands of jobs. They are shutting down factory towns. Sometimes, you know, your best job was at that factory. So GM's doubling down on zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. Traffic's changing a little bit. I mean, good golly. I could just tell you driving down the Embarcadero every day, you know, for the last 15, for the last 20 years. Um, I don't want to sound old, but it's changed. Zero congestion, zero emissions, zero crashes. That's what GM wants to move towards. So they're getting away from some of their cars. Um, <coughs> they're getting away from some of their cars that cost money and that they're losing money on. And they're trying to get more scale and capital into areas where you're going to get some cost reductions and you're going to get some demand. So... I like Mary Barra. I think she's doing a pretty good job of keeping GM relevant. I'm not saying I own GM because I don't. Um, in the world of GM versus Tesla, Tesla is kind of you know blazing a trail for better for worse. I can make a case for GM at these prices and these valuations. It's a thirty-seven dollar stock. You could easily see it going to forty-five. Now, is that sexy enough for you? Is Mary Barra doing a good enough job for you? Because she's doing a good enough job for me. But I don't own any shares. And maybe it comes down to it's not sexy enough for me, right? Um, too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. Oh. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money investing, and more. There's some really good downloads at newfocusfinancial.com, newfocusfinancial.com. I've been putting those together, and I'm putting together some new ones for 2019. Check it out at newfocusfinancial.com. Download some uh, PDFs and get a little bit smarter about investing. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.